This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the 4K 5.0 or the budget-friendly Solo, Tacticam has something for everyone. This year we're also working with Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is artificial intelligence for the deer woods. And I know what you're thinking, you're thinking, why in the world do we need more technology? I go to the woods to get away from technology. Well, We're all busy people, and what if there was an app out there that told you whether you were going to see a deer, and it was accurate 60 to 70% of the time? That's what Spartan Forge has built. So basically, they've taken car deer studies, they've taken collared deer studies over the entire country, and deer in the south move different than deer in the northeast than in the midwest. Um, So what Spartan Forge is doing is they're taking all of this data for each region and plugging it into the same military grade technology that's being used to track bad guys uh, all over the world. And they're saying these deer move on these patterns, these deer rut at these times. And that's by uh, car deer fatalities and they're measuring fetuses. They're doing all of this this different peer-reviewed research built into this app. Now, at the current moment, it's a website, and you go on there, and it just tells you what's going on. Well, what they found is that people don't just want the day to go hunt, whether it's a good day or not. They want to be able to poke around and figure it out. Um, So that app is coming. It's being built. It's going to be July, August time frame, and they're entering millions upon millions of more uh, data points. And so that storage costs money. And so the price is going up after that. So right now you're never going to find it cheaper than you do right now. And if you use code bowhunter, you can get 25% off and you can check that out at spartanforge.ai. Now I've got a call with Bill on the 25th and we're going to go through all the new features. So I'll be up on it. I've already spoken with him about all the stuff and I'm pretty excited about what's being built into the app. But uh, he's also offered for all of our Patreons to jump on a Zoom call 
and answer any questions. Um, so we're going to have that scheduled after I talk to him uh, in a couple weeks here. You're saying, well, what is this Patreon? So Patreon is a crowdfunding for creators. So we don't get paid a whole lot for doing this podcast. You know, we get some free stuff here and there, uh, but it costs money. All this equipment, all the time, um, hosting, all these things. Uh, if we want to travel, if we want to go to shows, if we want to try new gear, that all costs money. And so if you're enjoying the show and you say, man, I want to see you guys do this. I want to see you guys do more things. We appreciate everything that you're doing. Um, it's just a way to do that. And you can do that. So $5, $10 a month, 33 cents a day, um, you know, to support the show. But for that, we just don't take all of that money. We, we, we're not just sitting over here saying, man, we we're doing this for money. Not at all. So we take all that money that we can, uh, outside of buying equipment and, and stuff and we give it back. So, um, we do giveaways every quarter this quarter, uh, is a Tacticam 5.0 uh, with a Reaper. Um, and so that's going to be the Hunter package. It attaches right to your bow. It comes with the gun mount too. Um, if you can reap turkeys, you, that'll hook right to that uh, one of those mounts so that you'll be able to video uh, sneaking in on that turkey. But Tacticam's even gone further, and they said when you kill something with it, send them the footage. They'll edit it for you and put it out there. Uh, Latitudes has also given us uh, one of their classic saddles to give away, um, but it doesn't really make sense to give anybody just a saddle, right? So we've got a set of the XOP mini sticks. We've got the Artisan Outdoor Fabrications platform, the same one that I've been running for the last two years, and the new tethered uh, 8mm ropes. So you're going to have everything that you need uh, for that saddle package. We're giving that away. Uh, base map. So we use base map here. Um, I just got finished beta testing um, their new offline maps. And so their offline maps have um, changed dramatically. A lot more detail. Um, the system has gotten a lot better uh, for their offline maps. Uh, they've got tons and tons of layers. If you're doing e-scouting, we're planning. Uh, John's going back out to Montana. I'm going to Colorado again this year. Um, so you're able to add in all those layers, uh, different features for for lakes, for you know all all different inland lakes, um, all sorts of stuff. So Base Maps giving away one of their pro packages. They're also giving away a swag pack. And you can get 20% off of base map. So base map is already only $30 for the entire country, which is cheaper than one state for a lot of the other ones that are out there. Um, but then they're giving 20% off if you go online and use code Chronicles. So that's $2 a month for the entire country. So especially if you don't hunt out of state that much and you don't want to pay, you know, two to three times that for one additional state, um, you can get everything that base map has to offer use that code chronicles and it's $24 it's $2 a month so uh, definitely uh, you know a value there from base map but you know they're giving giving away to one of our uh, uh, patrons Spartan Forge is doing the same thing swag, swag pack membership you know everything you'll get all those features and you're going to get a free app as soon as it comes out here and uh, you know, by August and then zinger fletching. So those guys are Michigan guys. They have the 3d printed fletchings. Uh, they just came out with a new shape. It's a little bit quieter. It's a new material. Um, that's what I'm going to be shooting at the total archery challenge this year. Those guys are also going to be up there. So, um, we're doing the 
barbecue again. We're in the same condo up there at the Total Archery Challenge in Michigan at Boyne. So if you guys are going to be up there, swing by on Saturday, get a hold of me. Um, we'll, we're easy to see. We're right next to the uh, practice facility. Uh, but we're going to be up there hanging out with the Zinger Fletching guys. They've said that they'll uh, donate a set of those to our patrons. So all of that, you know, if you want to sign up for Patreon, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles. You can go on our website, Instagram, click any of those links and get signed up and, and get into this. Uh, our two new patrons for over this past week, Joel Johnson out of Cameron, Wisconsin, and Troy Mosby out of Kansas City, Missouri. You know, thank you so much, guys. I'll have your uh, swag packs uh, for the stickers and stuff for the podcast. I'll have those out by the end of this week for you. Um, we are also giving away a bow. So we're a bow hunting podcast. We've been doing this for four years, and we decided, you know what? It's time for us to give back to everybody that's listened. Um, so if you go to our Instagram or our website, um, just click on the link that says um, bow giveaway. We're giving a brand new 2021 Bowtech Carbon Zion. That's coming out of our pocket. Um, we're getting that uh, in conjunction with our local shop, Johnson's Great Outdoors in, in Montague, Michigan. Uh, Mitch is great up there. Um, we're giving away that bow in HHA Tetracite and uh, rest and uh, we're getting that completely set up for you we're going to be doing some videos on that coming up here very shortly uh, but all you got to do is go to bowhunterchronicles.com after you're done clicking that patreon link you just click up there at the top and sign up to win that bow there's probably like 200 people signed up right now and you know almost half of those are patrons so um, you've got great odds to win this bow it's the same bow that I'm going to be shooting this year. Uh, great value, um, you know, for the money. I don't think you can buy um, a better. I mean, it's a carbon bow. It's just, I can't say enough. That, that's why I'm shooting it. I'm, I'm pumped. Um, so go to the website, get signed up, win a bow. Um, this podcast, so this podcast stems from one of our Patreons saying, hey, I want you guys to talk to Toughhead. Um it's a really good conversation. It's more about, um, you know, kind of heavy arrows and the theory uh, behind it, some Ashby stuff, maybe more from a traditional side, but it talks about the benefits for the compound guy. Uh, and it's just another voice outside of um, Troy Fowler and the Ranch Ferry and, um, you know, a little bit more of a discussion. Uh, we love Troy. Troy's a great guy. Um, and we've had him on the podcast. We sat down and had dinner with him. Uh, Troy is a great dude. Um, but this is just another take on uh, Heavy Arrows. And I think you guys are going to be blown away by the way that um, Toughhead Broadheads are actually made and the process and everything. So uh, really awesome podcast. Enjoy talking to Jason. Um, you guys are going to really like this one. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Hey everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And this one, you know, for us, we try not to do a lot of um, industry stuff and try to keep that out of it. Um, and so last time we had a, a company on and this week, um, same thing. We've got Jason from Toughhead Broadheads um, to talk a little bit about like maybe a different perspective um, on heavy arrows and broadheads. Uh, same same theory, but just maybe a, a different voice. Um, so, how are you doing tonight, Jason? 
Good, good. How are you guys? Doing good. And finally getting some decent weather here in Michigan. Maybe the, yeah. we're, we're seeing some the light at the end of the tunnel, I guess. Yeah, it was nice. Actually, it sucked waking up, losing an hour, but uh, having that extra hour this evening, you know, we actually had our first dinner with our in-laws for almost a year. I mean, it was just it was just a nice evening, you know, with the extended daylight and everything, too. So hopefully some positive things are around the corner. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's get a little bit of history of, of you, um, you know, not only like with the company and everything, um, but like your background in in hunting and kind of like your journey to where you're at right now. Yeah. So, um, I'm not like, uh, I'm not, I have, I was not growing up in a hunting com- uh, family. Um, you know, we, um, hunting to us was, you know, my, my family hunted, but was opening day. We went out for deer camp and hunted and things like that. And as I got older into my teens and everything, I, I, I got away from it, you know, chasing girls and playing sports and things like that. Um, but then, um, running a business and things, uh, being an entrepreneur through my early twenties, all the way through my thirties, I, I needed a, a, an escape. Right. So I went back to hunting and, uh, discovered bow hunting, uh, when I was 30 years old and just dove in, but you know, anybody that knows me knows that when I get into something, it's, you know, it, it's, it, I'm all in, I don't just do things half-assed or anything. I, I, I'm all in when I get a, you know, get into something. So, I got into bow hunting. Um, I started off as a compound hunter, um, and I got sucked in with the with the uh, you know with the market standard of speed, speed, and uh, you know uh, fast, you know big bucks, all that stuff. So I really wasn't successful my first couple of years, uh, mainly because I thought I had to you know see what everyone shoots on TV. You got to hit shoot this you know 140 inch boon or 150 inch boon or stuff like that. So spent a lot of time in the woods learning the animals. Um, discovering you know nature all over again um and then shortly after that um someone gave me a recurve bow and just said hey give us a shot and uh it was it was december of one year and you know the minute i started shooting it i just got i mean i knew this was like my calling right it was like i knew this was a passion for me and um and long story short it was all uphill from there i mean once i started getting into trad um so i've been shooting trads exclusively for just over a decade now probably about 11 years now so um and i've been blessed with success i've been blessed with many many hours in the field and um that that it just it just became such a passion for me which led me to owning tough head broadheads and um you know and i just carrying my passion into the broadhead business. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the short story of it all. Okay. Uh, I'm just kind of enamored by the, the trad stuff at the moment. Like I was shooting yeah. my bow today and, um, and like, I just feel like it's, it's, I don't know. I'm I'm not a good enough hunter to just be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to make it way more tough on myself with this yeah. other, with this bow. And I, I mean, I'm having so much fun shooting it and shooting it, you know, at, you know, it's fine at 10 yards. That's what the guys that are, you know, telling sure. you to start at 10 and yeah. then kind of stretch it out. Yeah. And it's like, you know, but how do I get a deer at 10 steps on the ground? Like, how do you, you know, that, right, that right. to me. So what was your like level of ability as a hunter when you made the, the change? And so then what was that, that like? 
So, like I said, when I get into something, I get in so far. I mean, I read everything I could. I watched everything I could. You know, the first year I picked up a compound bow, and I wanted to be the best hunter I could. And like I said, at first, it was all about shooting a big boon or things like that. But little did I realize as I was in the woods waiting for, a you know, a big, you know, Boone and Crockett or, you know, big Pope and Young Whitetail to walk by, you know, I, I didn't realize that I was actually educating myself with these animals and learning you know, I was getting closer and closer and closer. And I mean, trust me, I could have killed piles of deer. Um, you know, I didn't realize how good, you know, not, not to toot my horn here, but I didn't realize how good of a hunter I became by just sitting there and learning the animals. So that's what I always try to tell a lot of, a lot of traditional shooters is, you know, you have to be very patient and just be, you know, very persistent and just stay with it. You know, you're, the more you learn your animal, the more you can just get in close. Cause you know, ever since I, I did that and I picked up the trad bow, um, I was already getting 10 yards on these animals. I mean, I was, I was already there. Um, so it was just a matter of being patient enough waiting for that shot. Um, so I, I, I always stress, you know, learning, learning your animal, your prey is the most important factor. I mean, you can shoot all day long, but learning your prey and getting within that, that bow range that you're comfortable with is the most important lesson to learn. So, um, you know, I, I, I haven't killed, I killed one animal over 20 yards in my whole, you know, 12 years of hunting compound and, and traditional. So it's just, you know, I think the most, the most important thing is just educating yourself with the animals, learning the animals and just, just trying to be, you know, learn their patterns, you know, and, and just educate yourself with the animals. And it, it just, it just starts to happen. You know, I mean, I, I limit myself to 15 yards and in on all my hunts and, you know, it just, uh, you got to be persistent. You have to be willing to fail too, especially with trad. You have to be willing to fail before you, you know, you succeed. And, and that's, that, that is a hard thing for a lot of people to overcome. But once you overcome that and accept that, that you're not just there for blood and, and killing, you're there for the sport and, and the love of the animal you're after, uh, you know, it just, it, it just starts to fall into place. And so how did that like journey lead you to, like the the tough head company and and what you're doing there because you you had you've purchased tough head from the yeah i purchased yeah i purchased the product so um like i said i first got in the compound uh you know was all love struck by the by the what the market teaches you about that and when i got into traditional um i i kind of got into that rabbit hole we'll call it you know with, with at ashby i mean i immediately went to diving into some some studies and I went into Ashby studies and um Tough had always had a lot of good educational um publications and PDFs and all the Ashby studies on their website and I immediately just just was was you know directed to their website and uh started shooting their broadheads almost from day one and um you know shot them for you know, mostly my, my traditional career and when the you know, long story short, when the opportunity presented itself for me to purchase Toughhead, um, I didn't blink an eye. My wife was very supportive about it, and I, I reached out to Joe through a mutual friend, and um, it just clicked. I mean, Joe and I clicked uh, the whole, just the whole process of, of what I could do and keep keep Toughhead alive. Um, you know, because I believed in it, I used it. Uh, it showed results. Um, you know, and, and building arrows was always a passion, you know, learning more, uh, you know, FOC, all that stuff, you know, building efficient weapons, 
Um, and, and it just worked. And I, and I was fortunate enough to, you know, have a little bit extra money from some, some uh, jobs I did, things like that. And uh, I purchased the company. Well, I didn't purchase the company. I purchased the rights and I purchased Toughhead brand in uh, and, and all the drawings and things like that. And I took over the manufacturing and it just went from there. So it, it just started from, you know, me just diving into that uh, Ashby, you know, rabbit hole, right? And, uh, you know, it, it, it Toughhead was just the beginning of all that and it just stick, stuck with me. And I, it was a product I believed in and was fortunate enough to be able to uh, keep it alive. Well, let's talk about that for a second because did you, yeah. you said you kind of started with those broadheads from the beginning, right? Yeah. So I think yeah. like for me and for most guys who come from a compound background or, you know, you know, a lot of the, the older guys like my, my father-in-law who was there from the switch from traditional to, to the wheeled bows. Um, but I would say most people that are just, no, you know, average age, say 25 to 35 or whatever, which I would say most of our, um, demographic is mm-hmm. like, I can think of like when I first saw tough head broadheads and if I was to go on the website, you know, it, it it's almost absurd for, and we kind of talked about this a little bit beforehand to look at it and say, you know, where's all the hundred grain broadheads or whatever. And these things are, mm-hmm. how, these yeah. things are how long and how much do they weigh? And so did right. you, I mean, what was your process on building your first compound arrow and, and what led you to that? Because I think, I well, think for, for us, it would be like, like, like I said, just kind of absurd to look at that and be like, yeah, I'm going to put on this spear point. Sure. Um, yeah, sure. So, you know, it didn't start with compound. It started when I got into traditional. You know, when I got into traditional, I knew I was using equipment that was um, didn't have as much energy, right? Didn't have the, the, the kinetic energy, the stored kinetic energy. Didn't have the, the, the possible momentum that, that a compound would put out. So, I, you know, you know, really respecting the prey that I went after, you know, the, the white tails, the black bears, the, 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 the turkeys. Um, I wanted to make sure that if I was going to go down to a, a recurve, which I, at the time I looked at as a lesser weapon, right? I mean, it was a, it was a primitive weapon compared to a modern compound. Um, again, and I dive into things, I, I started doing research and I wanted to build the most ethical arrow to, that I knew would take that game. So, the first thing, you know, when you dive into the Ashby studies, it talks about the three to one, you know, the penetration is, is, is paramount. Um, so, you know, when, when, you know, having weight forward, heavy arrows. So, you know, it automatically just pushes you into that, that uh, Ashby realm, right? You know, the three to one, the heavier broadhead. So, um, no, I started off a little bit lower. I started off with the meathead, which is a 190. I didn't go, you know, full tilt, 300 grain. And, and I still don't in some applications, but, um, you know, I just wanted to build, build the most, the most ethical lethal setup for my equipment and everything I read, everything, you know, just kept coming back to the Ashby studies, higher front of centers, higher, you know, air overall arrow weights. Um, so that, that's kind of how that led into that. Um, you know, yeah, the norm is 100, 125 grains. Um, but you know, that, that all that all came about when guys were shooting wood arrows that were you know already 400 grains for a bare shaft you know aluminum arrows that were already you know 10 grain per per inch so you know nobody really realized that you know back in the 70s 80s even the early 90s shooting aluminum arrows they were already shooting 600 grain arrows they didn't and they didn't have any issues killing animals so 
you know, it, it just came full circle. And I realized, okay, well, now we're shooting carbon. You know, they're lighter GPIs, things like that. So I realized, um, you know, to build heavy arrows, you know, it made sense to build, build them based around a heavy broadhead that is made to penetrate and to kill your animal as quickly and as humanely as possible. So <clears throat> backing it up to your compound, how, how many years did you hunt with your compound? I only hunted for probably two and a half, three years. And the reason being is because I, once I was introduced to traditional, I mean, it was, you know, I, I went full tilt in the traditional. Now, when I shot compound, I, like I said, I was, I was just, I was overtaken immediately just by the, you know, the, the allure of the marketing, right? Speed, everything like that. So I think my heaviest era was 425 with a 125 head on it. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't know any better as far as I know now on what's lethal and ethical. Right. So did you have any bad experiences with those setups? Did you wound deer? So did I only you killed kill one any? animal. Believe it or not, I killed one. I personally only killed one animal with the compound. It was a, it was a small white-tailed buck, um, and I did it on the ground within five yards. So I can't compare my – I honestly can't compare my results uh, opposed to what a traditional setup would be, but getting into this industry and seeing everything, I mean, it is pretty clear that heavier arrows, heavier FOCs, you know, different broadheads perform differently. So, um, I personally can't, I'm just being honest. I don't have bad results because I went right into trad and instantly started building, you know, what I consider an ethical, uh, arrow setup. Okay. So what is your lineup as far as like the, um, the weights of arrows and compo or not arrows, but, uh, broadheads and components that you have. And you said that there's a, you know, you get asked the question a lot as far as like why you don't make a, a lighter broadhead. Well, okay. So, so I guess the answer, that's a, there's a multiple questions in that, in that, uh, multiple answers in that question. So, um, our lineup, consists of glue on broadheads and screw in broadheads um the first lineup is called our classics which start as glue in broadheads they're 190 225 and 300 um, and then we also have classic screw ins that are 265 and 315 grain all based off the the various uh models within the, the classic line and this year we came out with the evolution line which um is a, a complete sort of twist on what we so, uh, so to speak preach um, it, it's a machine broadhead they're slightly different designs they don't necessarily go with the classic three to one design um, and they are 200 to 300 right now and we actually even have a three blade that we feel is uh, is, is a pretty good three blade out there um, so that, that's that um, we do sell some components that you can Glue up with the, uh, you know, you can use epoxies and make, you know, our, our original classic heads are, are, I like to call them modular. So, you know, you can, you can start with the head and do, do different weighted inserts and things like that to, to tune your arrow setups and everything. Um, so we, we also machine and manufacture some inserts and some componentry for different arrows. Um, like we have 50 to 200 grain stainless steel inserts for, standard diameter shafts um we just moved into strings and things like that that match up well with uh heavy arrows um and the second part of that question uh why i won't produce a 125 
is because I feel for two reasons for that. There's two answers to that question. Um, there is plenty of 125 grain broadheads out there. I mean, plenty. The whole market is flooded with them. Um, we are, we like to view Toughhead as a heavyweight specialized broadhead company. So we specialize in what we do best, and that is building heavyweight broadheads. Um, we don't just, you know, throw a piece of design on a piece of paper and machine or, or, or punch out a broadhead. I mean, these all have a lot of engineering and, you know, physics involved in these things. So I don't want to dabble in the 125 for that reason. There's plenty of people doing, and they're doing a good job at it. Um, plus, when you jump into the 150 to 200 grain realm, it is just a different broadhead. I mean, you can hold them in your hand and you could just tell that you are now holding something with some substance, um, which, you know, again, it, it's a heavyweight broadhead. It, it has strength, it has structural integrity. So um, we will, we have designs for 150. So we will go down to 150. We kind of feel 150 is the, entry-level heavyweight uh, broadhead, um, but we really feel that we specialize in 200 and 200 and up. Um, so we, we just feel it's a better weapon on the end of your arrow. At the end of the day, you know, the arrow, the bow, the string, your hunting gear, your binoculars, your release, none of that kills the animal. What kills the animal, you know, quickly and, and, and ethically is the broadhead. So we want to produce the best broadhead to do that as quickly as possible. Uh, because we, at the end of the day, respect that animal and want to take its life as quick as possible. So I guess what, I mean, understanding that, I don't want you to have to like repeat yourself. Um, but, <laughs> but, but I guess like, uh, so what has been your experience over say the last like year and a half, two years with, um, the compound guys and, and heavy arrows? Like, what has that discussion been like for you? Um, or has there always been compound guys shooting heavy arrows and it, it's just a, a been the same, like par for the course? So um, there, there's always been compound guys shooting heavy arrows. Uh, there's, there's uh, believe it or not, there has always been compound guys shooting our broadheads. Um, it has grown a lot over the last two years. Um, guys are realizing that they are getting the job done a lot faster. There's less air. Um, you know, we always, you know, ranch Ferry always says, you know, you know, you got to plan for, for plan B, right. If when things don't go right, cause you're not always guaranteed things are going to go right. So, um, the compound industry is starting to realize that, you know, fast and light isn't really getting the job done as efficiently and as ethically as heavier and slow. Uh, and when I, you know, I say slow, but you don't have to make them slow. I mean, when I, you know, compound guys, a, a lethal setup is 550 grains. I mean, at, you know, 280 feet per second. I mean, my God, that's a, that is a lethal setup. You can take just about anything you want in North America with that, with the proper, the proper build. Um, so, uh, you know, the compound guys are definitely coming over, uh, especially now with our evolution line. It was, it was designed a little more for modern archery equipment. Um, so we did take that into consideration, especially the 200 grain uh, line that we have. Um, we did that for the compound guys to start giving them a product we feel is superior for, for, for killing animals ethically. Okay. And just on that, since you're, you're mentioning that, uh, cause I want to get into like 
your broadheads and like the process and everything because that's kind of yeah. interesting to me. Yeah. But um, I, I guess for like the educational thing and like a question that I have is, you know, so when you're looking on there and there's all this talk, you know, with Troy and the Ranch Ferry and everything about yeah. single bevel, um, like let's say that you you're just saying, okay, I'm going to switch over to a single bevel broadhead. I want to go to, uh, you know, a heavy arrow setup, blah, blah, blah. And then you end up going on the site and then you're like, okay, so now do I need a left bevel or a right bevel? How, how do you, how would you know that? Well, so, so the, 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 the easy answer for that is, uh, if you're shooting left, left feather or left, uh, um, helical or left offset, you shoot left bevel. Okay. Um, you know, obviously if you're shooting right, you shoot right. Um, we manufacture our screw-ins right bevel. Um, it, it really, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. You just want to match your feathers or fletchings or the direction of your off- offset with your bevel. Um, so really, if, if you just pick a right, you build everything to the right, it's fine. A lot of guys email me about, well, my bow shoots left. You know, it shoots left when it comes off bare shaft. That's because the string is built a certain way to release that arrow. Uh, if you're a compound shooter, uh, to the left. However, no arrow stabilizes within about four yards of, of your arrow. So if you, if you fletch it the opposite direction, it's, it's going to take a, a millisecond to correct itself and come back. So, um, and if you're a finger shooter, you know, it's how you manipulate that string typically is what, you know, lets it come off. So typically a right hand shooter shoots a right, uh, a right offset or a right helical or something, or a left shooter will, will, we'll shoot a left but at the end of the day it really doesn't matter as long as you just match everything up um you know right right with right left with left uh you know i mean or even if you just did a straight straight fletch with the with the right offset is fine you know with the right bevel is fine so i would say you know that's really shouldn't be a deciding factor your deciding factor on what you should buy is you know you should ask yourself the question what what is my intentions here what game am i going after you know, and do I have the potential to go after another game and, and build your setup uh, accordingly to that? Okay. Like, like I said, I'm just, I mean, well, if you had, <clears throat> obviously your, like you said, your screw in tips are only right bevel. If you had a left bevel and the weight of the arrow hits the, the deer or animal that you're shooting, you're going to spin the tip right off the arrow. I mean, with the momentum. Well, you, <laughs> yes, yes. In theory and in physics, yes. Uh, now, in soft tissue, you know, I, listen, guys are arguing with me all the time about it, and they are absolutely right. In soft tissue, blowing through an animal, that thing is never going to unscrew, right? Right. But a, on a hard impact, you have that possibility. I've seen it happen. I've done it. I believe we test everything. Um, so that's where we're going. We're, again, we're pl- we are building these arrows and these broadheads for plan B, right? We all know plan A, anything can work. Plan B is when you got to worry about it. So you know, we just want to make sure that when plan B happens, all your boxes are checked so that everything's going to work in your favor, at least as much as possible. Right. So that's why, you know, us as a manufacturer, we're going to make, you know, right bevel, uh, single bevels, just so, you know, everything will work when things don't work. Well, that I, makes sense. I just look at it from like my perspective and the guys that I talk to and the guys that are like in our groups and stuff is like, if you if you decide okay I'm gonna go down this rabbit hole and I'm gonna build some arrows and it, there's already so many things like so for John John is like 
very methodical and he builds all the stuff. I mean, in his target right there, there's a bear shaft arrow with a bunch of tape on the back of it to match the knock yeah. weight and the wrap and, and all this. Sure. And he does that. And like, from my background would be like, buy something off the shelf. Oh, now I need to build a heavier. That'd be cool. And then you say, okay, well do I need these inserts or this, or what about a wrap or a knock or this? And then when you get to the, the checkout page now, is it left or right bevel? So I just, I'm looking at it from the, one more question to be answered. Well, most of that has to do with like the trad guys, right? I mean, left and right bevel, yeah. you know, depending yeah. on how, because yeah. you're going to be shooting feathers and how right. it comes off the shelf of your bow. Right. You know, because right. with a trad, you're not shooting a shoot through drop away rest. You're shooting a car off the shelf. So correct. your feathers have to be, I mean, most of the time are going to be, you know, uh, helical to a certain you know, left or right, depending on which hand you are and how your bow Correct. is shooting. And Correct. so then you would want to match, like you said, match. And cause, and then like you said, they're, these are glue on tips. So this is a lot to do. I mean, I, I mean, everything that, that you guys have, like you said, is Dr. Ashby. So, I mean, that all goes back to the traditional, you know, the guys shooting recurves, long bows, you know, wood shafts or, you know, big old heavy arrows because you, have to make up that the oh what do you want to say it you have to make up for a less efficient bow or not a less efficient but yeah no you're you know, right no you're you know, you're right compared no, I mean, to the yeah. compound you know when you look yes. at I'm looking at one of my bows hanging on the wall here it's a Hoyt I'm 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 six three I shoot a thirty one inch draw length and I got eighty pound limbs and my arrow is zinging out of that bow. You know, even at, yeah. so like when I build my arrows, they're right around 500 grains, no matter what, because just because I have to have such a long shaft and then yeah, they have to be right. so stiff that the weight is already made, right. you know, already there. Right. You know, but. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Toughhead originally started, you know, based off of, you know, Joe started this company, you know, 12, 13 years ago, based off the Ashby studies. It, it, he didn't do this to make money. He did it to bring a broadhead out that Ed Ashby wanted to shoot, you know, based off of all his studies. So, you know, th this, this, you know, the, the big history of Toughhead goes all the way back to the traditional roots. So, you know, right. Toughhead is a traditionally rooted company, but it doesn't mean that compound guys can't, can't use the same knowledge to make themselves more efficient. So you're right. I mean, you know, as far as the glue and aspect, yes, you want to match left, rights, left, rights, you know, all that stuff. But, when it comes down to, you know, really our screw-ins are all right bevels. So that takes that guesswork out of the game, right? right? Um, you know, in compounds, they really don't, they don't stabilize. They don't stop, you know, you, you know, you have about four yards till they actually start stabilizing that arrow, you know, because go through paradox, it's got to go through the twisting. So in, in that amount of time, that, that feather or that fletching can correct that arrow or at least stay, help stabilize that arrow to the right direction. So, you know, that'll correct that arrow to what it needs to be. And the big thing is when that, when that broadhead, trust me, when that broadhead hits that target, it does not matter how, how that arrow is twisting in the air and throwing flight. That broadhead is going to overpower that whole thing instantly and drive through that, that deer. So yeah, absolutely. I've had this argument with guys that say, well, I can shoot left feathers and shoot a right bevel. Yeah, you can. I, sure you can. But why take that chance? Well, no, that, you know now I mean? you're going to. Not only that, now you're going to lose some of that. If you're doing that, you're going to end up losing some of the efficiency of it because you will. That, exactly. that's taking yeah. power away from 
it's got to stop it. So, right, you know, right, right, right. You, so why, why do it's that? counterproductive yeah. really? Exactly. Exactly. And, and like you said, you know, back from what you said, you know, the traditional archer needs to stack all the cards on their favor as much as possible because we are, we are shooting less efficient equipment than a compound shooter is. So, right. you know, traditional guys do need to take all those those perspective you know all those into perspective so. right and i think what you were yeah. trying to say is like i know there's other equations but it's it's right it's uh uh like speed versus speed and energy right yeah. or, or speed mass right mass, mass times right velocity right. Right. and so if you have right. less velocity you need more mass to equal the same right i, mean, I think that's correct kinetic correct. energy or Momentum Correct. Kinetic. Two. Well, kinetic energy is, is the is the uh, is the is the force is a stored force coming out of that bow. That's what the bow is producing. Mm-hmm. The most important uh, measurement is your momentum, because momentum is actually the, the the energy being produced and being taken down range. So that that is the most important aspect right. of your arrow build. Yeah. So yeah, kinetic energy is lost big time over. Every every ten yards you get, your kinetic energy is just dropping because the kinetic energy left that equation left once that bow released that strain. That kinetic energy, kinetic energy is gone. Now it's the momentum of that arrow being carried down range that is the effective the effective number in that equation to kill that animal effectively. Yeah, and I mean, you you see that, and like the, our listeners have heard, you know, me talk about the biggest deer I ever killed was with the worst possible efficiency setup. And then, you know, you see these, and I don't even know if they make them anymore, but like rage made a low kinetic energy broadhead that didn't open up as far. So yeah. They still, it's the plus P that's called. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. like I said, I haven't even like really paid attention to those in the last few years right. after I had like the worst. Well, what was ever. happening? People were wanting to shoot the, you know, I'm going to shoot this extreme broadhead and you know, they're shooting a 45 pound bow and, you know, now it hits a rib and it bounces back out. I mean, right, because it doesn't have enough kinetic energy, enough momentum right. to actually expand those blades, and that's right. where that's where mechanical mechanical broadheads fail. That anything works in soft tissue when the shot is right. I mean, a field point will work. I, I, I'm here to tell you it'll work, but you know, again, you have to plan for when it doesn't work because we're all bow hunters. We all have seen it happen when it doesn't work, and it, you know, there's a a, a very big percentage that it's never going to go perfect. So you have to prepare for that not perfect situation. Well, I wanted to talk about like the process of these uh, making these broadheads because like to yeah. me, uh, like that is just seems like, <laughs> like nuts. It seems, it seems it's like, labor intensive. Uh, it seems <laughs> like, I was just going to say, it seems like, like slave labor, like sweatshop that you've put yourself into yeah. like because can, can you, t- can you yeah. tell us the process of making the the traditional yeah well um, yeah so the traditional heads are very very labor intensive uh there's many 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 steps um we won't even talk about the evolution it, it is a standard modernized broadhead it's machined you know what i mean uh, now it goes through different processes but um the the classic line that we're calling it now which is the traditional head um, you know, it starts off as, as rolled, softened, you know, annealed rolled steel um, that we buy. And then we run it through a, a uncoiler. We run it through a 35-ton press, uh, progressive dies. It stamps out our blanks. So you have two pieces. Uh, you have a, you know, uh, and then what you do, uh, we clean them, all that good stuff, quality check them. Then we, we put the two pieces together, right, like a sandwich. 
you put them together, you put them in our jig, and then we weld them. And we actually stitch, uh, you know, six to eight welds up each side. So you can imagine the, <laughs> the patience you need, right, to sit here and stitch a thousand broadheads, you know, eight stitches up each side. It, it gets to be pretty, pretty uh, monotonous. Um, so once we get through all that, then we go to the brazing process. The brazing process is where the two pieces then become glued together, right? So we use a 100% pure copper braze. We, uh, we put all the broadheads in a, uh, an atmospheric vacuum oven and we bring the temperature up to 2020 degrees. We drop copper pellets in the broadhead blanks that are welded together. And uh, through the oven process and the heating, it, it sucks that copper through and basically bonds the two pieces together. Um, and at that point, we go through the cooling cycle. Then we go through the heat treat cycle. Um, and then we go to the tempering cycle and, and temper the metal to the proper rockwell hardness. Then at that point, we bring them back. We, we symmetrically grind the backs because everything is based off of the back of the broadhead. Um, and then we might set the inserts, spin test the inserts, all that good stuff. And then they go off for uh, painting, which we use a Cerakote. We actually use uh, Cerakoting. Um, they get Cerakoted, and then, then they get field grind, uh, honed, and then quality checked and packaged. So you know, from the minute we stamp a broadhead, we have buckets full of blanks. The minute we sit down and start welding till we actually have product in our hand to package process. What was that? We we lost you on like what the the process was. Oh yeah, so 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 we have buckets of blanks. You know, we we have all kinds of blanks sitting here, buckets of blanks. So the minute we sit down and start welding these blanks, till we actually have these blanks ready to package and sell, it's a three month process. Wow. So you can imagine trying to keep up with the demand. You know what I mean with a small company like ours. Um, you know, it, it's difficult. Um, and, and we're not to the point where we can hire full-time employees yet too. We're, we're, you know, I have, I have friends that help me part-time, things like that. We're working plenty of evenings. We work through the complete weekends. I mean, it, it's, it, you know, we're, we're trying to build it to the point where we can, we can run a full staff all the time, but we're not quite there yet, but it, it, it's very labor intensive. And we take pride in that because traditional, you know, again, we're rooted in traditional, traditional archers, respect that fact you know they love hand-built things right we all buy handmade bows so having a handmade broadhead in your hands that you know from start to finish you know it means a lot to these guys so um unfortunately the compound guys realize they're lethal too and that, that's what's driving our costs and our demand up which you know is, is driving our uh you know our, our our manufacturing uh up too so you know we're trying to keep up with the demand but it's been difficult and it's still difficult this year too keeping up with everything and so what is the um i wanted to talk to you about i want to talk about sharpening broadheads for mm -hmm. sure um, yeah but also about um i had heard you talk i know you said you were leaving the the newer broadheads out out of it uh, but what steel are these broadheads made out of and why Okay, so the classic line um, was always made, uh, the, the meathead line, which is um, our carbon steel line. It, it is a, uh, it's more like a 1060 carbon steel, so which means it has about 60% carbon. Um, and then our tough head line is a stainless steel, which is a 420 HC. So it's a 420 
high carbon content stainless steel, but a 420 has approximately 40% carbon and the rest is chromium and a little bit of nickel. Um, the new evolution line is an S7 tool steel, which is a very, you know, higher grade premium steel. It's a tool steel, which everybody that's in archery now and following broadheads knows that a tool steel is, you know, is where it's at. It, it's, it's super high quality. Um, our hands are tied with our classics because tool steels, you know, you can't get, anneal them, which means soften them enough to stamp and press them. So, you know, our classic line, I always say we're kind of handicapped on the, the types of steel we can use because they need to be softened enough so we can stamp and form them. And then we need to go through the whole process. So, you know, it takes a special kind of steel for us to use that. Um, I will say over the last three years since I've owned this business, uh, Toughhead, I have been experimenting and talking to meteorologists about different steels. So we do have fingers crossed uh we do have a very awesome steel we're called the gen 2 steel uh it's kind of a proprietary uh proprietary proprietary sorry my (laughs) uh, steel that that we working with that we it is it is a very uh it's an entry level grade of tool steel that we can actually press and stamp and it's also stainless so uh we're really excited about that which is for the classic line it's just going to make the classic line that much better. I mean, I, I took my Buffalo with, with that broadhead this year. I took a pig with it. Um, we have a few of them out there now for, for field testing with some of our customers. So, um, so that, that's the steels we use right now. We're hoping to just take the, our classic, our classic three to one traditional head and just make it better. I'm always looking to make all of our products better any way I can. So, I mean, it's just, again, it's a passion of mine. So, I want to give everybody the best thing I can give them to take their game, you know, as quickly and as ethically as possible. Well, the reason that I asked that is um, just because with there, there are so many broadheads mm-hmm. out there and it, it seems like, you know, some are super cheap and some seem yeah, know, yeah. ridiculously expensive. And, you know, for, for most people, they don't know the difference between this steel or, or whatever. And I mean, like your broadheads being handmade and taking, you know, three months to build. I mean, yeah, it's almost like because I was I was talking to um, a traditional bow hunter uh, the other night for a long, long time, and he's into flint napping and stuff. And when you're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, that's where these traditional guys and the guy that we went out to Idaho with, you know, he makes all of his own feathers from turkey feathers and makes all of yeah. his own wood yeah. arrows and all that stuff. And this guy was saying how he he wants to take a Michigan flint and make it and make his own arrow and take an animal with it, with a self bow yeah. and all this stuff. And that's kind of like what I joke about, you know, John and I, when we talk about like method of take is that there's always somebody you know, unless you chewed the sinew and spit the string out, like there's always <laughs> yeah, going to be right. somebody that's more right. traditional or more right, um, more primitive than yeah. than you. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. just like like you know, a real bow hunter or, or you know, what however you want to call it, right, or right, DIY. Well, yeah. <laughs> but but I just I mean, think well, of like your your broadheads at that like three month lead time, and you touching every single one of them seems like the guy flint napping like to some degree. Well, it is, it, it is. I'm just doing on a bigger scale, right. I'm, and I'm trying to get them out to the masses. So, um, but 
Yeah, I mean, that's what drives cost. I mean, you know, on the classic line, the majority of the cost is in labor. You know, you, you pretty much said it in, in what you just said. I mean, there is a lot of labor involved, a lot of processes involved in the classic head. The, the evolution head, a lot of that material is in machine time, but it's in the material. I mean, the S7 tool steel is not cheap. I mean, it's not, it's not the same as your off the shelf, uh, you know, uh, something you'd buy at, uh, you know, the big box store that's for 30 bucks a pack. There is, there's no, and I'm not just saying me, there's other companies out there. You know, your Iron Will, your Valkyrie, all those guys, you know, even your VPA, we're using better steels. And, you know, the cost is what's showing you, you know, as you look at these costs, you know, it's it, when you come to these machine and these more modern broadheads, it's because of the material that's involved. Um, my classics, it's because of the labor and the sweat and the tears. I mean, and, and also I didn't, I didn't say this, but my classic line, I, you know, when I, when I, when I start to finish, I have a 20% loss rate, 20 to 25% loss rate on these heads from start to finish. So, you know, that, that, that makes me cry at night. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm losing 20, 25% of these broadheads just from, you know, from misaligned jigs, from, you know, bad brazing or from bad grinds or from terrible coatings. I mean, it's just, it's terrible, but there's nothing I can do to fix it. It's a, it's a man-made, it's literally a man-made product once it's stamped. So, I um, mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of possibilities for errors. So, you know, that has to be taken into consideration for the cost. Unfortunately, it's just, you know, I can't do it for free, right? Oh yeah, I wasn't making any sort of indictment. I'm just yeah. saying, like, like, yeah. like looking at it, you know, that's ultimately what what it comes down to. And that you know, there's, yeah, there's, I mean, we're we're looking at like some of the most expensive climbing sticks on the planet right in front of us, and you know, it's, it all becomes into you know materials and you know intellectual right. properties and all these other these other things where you know, there's, there's climbing sticks that are, you know, a hundred dollars for three. And, you know, there's guys online or, you know, every, all the keyboard warriors that say they're all the same. They all, you know, it's like, right. There's definitely, there's definitely differences. Um, there's definitely differences. Right. And, you know, the old adage, you get what you pay for kind of thing, you know, but, but I do want to say, you know, with the classic line, um, you know, we are using the best steel we possibly can, especially if, uh, the Gen 2 steel that we're working with. But, you know, we do quality check everything to the highest standards, like you said. I mean, we th- these things are quality checked probably 30 times before they even hit, hit you know, the, the, the packaging phase. Um, so, you know, we there's a lot of pride taken in these things. And, you know, it, it's just... Uh, we stand behind everything too. So everything we have has a lifetime warranty to the, you know, to the, to the original guy. I mean, if something happens that wasn't supposed to happen, we, we replace them too. I mean, we, which doesn't happen very often at all, but you know, we do stand behind our product too. Well, I just said when, when I talked to you initially, like uh, that was, you know, some of my main questions was like the spin testing and quality control and the weights. Yeah. Cause I see the way that John builds arrows and weighs veins and all this stuff. And I can't imagine like, like the amount of like, I guess very like just thinking of the way that you explained that brazing. John was like mo- pantomiming the whole process, like as you're explaining it. And I'm like, I've never even heard of this. I mean, I understand <laughs> brazing from like old cars and stuff, but like to try and get something to have the exact same weight, you know, the to to be consistent using yeah. what seems like 
uh, an imperfect science of you add some copper and it fills the the gaps. Like, wait yeah, a minute, right, hold right. on. So, uh, just yeah, just the, yeah. this amount of time involved in in that. It's like, wow. Right. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a you know it's it's a long drawn out process. Uh, it, it's a pretty simple process when you understand it. Um, but it works. I mean, it it, it works. Um, and, you know, in a, when a laminated head is built properly. It is strong. I mean, it's, you know, you can, you know, you can imagine just like a piece of plywood, right? Or if you build a, a laminated beam for your house, you know, you, 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 you laminate all the pieces together. And it's strong. It's stronger than a one, one piece of wood, say 12 inches thick. When you laminate multiple pieces together to make 12 inches thick, it's stronger. So that's sort of the same process with a laminated broadhead. And we, you know, we do, we do pressure test every one of these when they come out of brazing phase, you know, the, the, where they glue together, right? You know, we heat them up, they're, they're copper glues them together. We actually plunger test all of them. There's a there's a plunger that drives down the center of those those broadheads, and, and we're trying to split them. And it's 500 pounds of pressure. So we all know there's no bow that's going to drive 500 pounds of pressure down the center line of these broadheads, and none of them split unless they didn't brace. Unless we forgot to put a copper pellet down them, they didn't brace. They're not splitting. So you know, some guys think that the, the brazing, the laminated heads are weaker than a machine head. And it's not true. It, it's not true. I mean, I, I just filmed a video yesterday and I just used the 65 pound compound and just drove my laminated heads right through, through, a, through a barrel, you know, I mean, just blew right through it and nothing happened to it. So, I mean, these, these heads are strong. So, uh, you know, I just want everybody to understand this because they're laminated, like, you know, it, it it doesn't mean it, it's it's not structurally sound. Yeah, I get that. Now, like I say, back to my question about, like, do you, you I mean, if you spend three months making a batch of broadheads, like, you would probably be the guy to ask about sharpening them. <laughs> um, sure. So yeah. that's one thing, like, I would say that probably a lot of guys, because I would, and I, I'm awful at sharpening anything. Um so, uh, tips or tricks, or, I mean, I've, I've tried it like what, you know, Troy with the ranch ferry and the like KME thing, like, oh, yeah. it should be just so easy. I can't for the life of me figure it out. And you see guys that say, oh, well, you know, you just run it on the stone a little bit, you get a leather belt or a strop, you know, some, you know, compound and oh yeah. Right. The right. hair falls off. Like, no, no. Like, <laughs> well, I so the. <laughs> yeah, the easiest the easiest method is you know, the KME sharpener. You know, you, 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 we're talking single bevel right now. You know, you 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 put in the KME sharpener on your diamond stone or your whetstone or even your sandpaper on a hard surface works very good. And then you know, use the sharpie method. You you color the edge and you get it. You set that angle till you're getting that whole edge taken off, and you just you keep working it till you get your edge back. Um, you know, then you take it to the opposite side and just give it a couple swipes to, to, you know, take the burr off. I mean, that's the easiest way to do it. I mean, when you start to get good at it, you can, can kind of do it by feel. Um, the, the big thing is, uh, which I try to tell a lot of people, you know, I, I definitely believe in shooting your broadheads during the year, even if you just have one in your quiver and it's your practice broadhead. Um, the, the best thing to do is strop them. Learn how to use a leather strop with some aluminum oxide powder. I mean, it, it just does wonders on a broadhead and it, it really it brings out the, the attributes in the steel so well um it just it just adds another level of protection it adds another level of strength 
um, when you can learn how to strop the broadhead. So that, I mean, look, and it's an art. I mean, sharpening a broadhead, a knife, it is an art. I mean, it's not, you know, we can make as many videos as we want and show you how it is, but, you know, we're used to doing it, right? Even the guys making the videos are used to doing it. Um, it's just something you need to practice and do. But the easiest way to, to do it is with the KME, you know, self-aligning broadhead sharpener, which we uh, have modified um, a bunch of them this year to fit some of our broadheads. Um, and I believe KME is going to make the modifications now in-house. But um, that, that's really your best way to do it. And learning how to run a leather strop is, is really, really a, a very good trait to have. So you had, well, I feel disheartened now because you said that the KME is the easiest way to do it. And I can't master <laughs> that. So, um. <laughs> Well, you know what might work for you seriously is, you know, a lot of people I've shown this method is you take the broadhead and you, you hold it, um, just just put it on a flat stone or whatever um i always show the example on our um, our uh, uh the bevel sharp sharpeners we sell you, you could just basically put the broadhead hold, feel the angle you know on a flat stone and do it in a circular motion a lot of guys find that easier you might want to try that i don't it, you might find that to be a little bit easier is to do it in a circular motion once you feel that bevel so it's it's harder sometimes for some people to find that bevel and do a long sweep, right? Because your, your hand, your wrist wants to rotate as you do a long sweep. But if you hold it, um, I wish I could show you on a film here. If you hold it on, on a shorter, uh, surface and you just do a short circular motion on that bevel angle, some guys find that easier because you're not manipulating the blade as much as you would as long strokes. And I am putting together some sharpening videos to show some of this. So maybe, you know, keep an eye on my YouTube videos and you'll see that, but that might be something you might want to try. That might, you might find that easier than using the KME. Yeah. And it's just one of those, like, I guess as you learn, you yeah. know, different things and like, it's a skill that, you know, is definitely beneficial, like outside of the hunting world. Um, yeah. Right. Right. And it's just like, I just can't. I just can't. And I listen to these traditional podcasts and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I just did this and blah, well, blah, blah. I was just going to, oh, jeez. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of, it, it's, um, I don't want to say this without insulting anybody. I get that question a lot more from compound guys than I do traditional guys. Traditional guys are used to buying broadheads that they're buying and they don't plan on throwing them away. They plan on reusing them. So they're used to resharpening broadheads a little more. And a compound guy, because a lot of compound guys are used to these replaceable blade broadheads, you know, expandables they just throw away. So they're, you know, and I don't I don't mean that in any disrespect to compound guys, but that is the question I get more from compound guys. And unfortunately, it's just it's just a skill that needs to be learned. You know, just it's just a skill that needs to be learned. Yeah. Practice. Yeah, here, Practice. here I am, hat in my hand, like, oh God, another thing. <laughs> It goes along with traditional <laughs> archery, you know. You gotta now. I gotta get the deer at five steps, and I gotta sharpen my own stuff. Like I'm spending a lot of time <laughs> learning things for this whole adventure. Um, so you mentioned earlier about uh, shooting a buffalo. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, yeah. I just, I just uh, a couple weeks ago, I went on a buffalo hunt. I, I uh, it was almost, it was kind of a last minute thing. Um, I was supposed to go into my a moose, my third moose hunt here, fourth moose hunt, but uh, Canada being kind of uh, 
we still don't know what's going on right with the borders and things. So I uh, scrambled around and found a place to hunt some buffalo. And as we all know, anybody that posts pictures or talks about hunting buffalo, 90% of them is done on ranches or, or private private property, things like that. I mean, to get a draw tag for a buffalo is pretty hard to do. So I did find a big enough ranch um, uh, down south that had, had a good herd of buffalo. Uh, and um, I wanted to test some broadheads. And the second part of my little venture was I wanted to do it with the Ashby study in mind. Um, and I wanted to build an, uh, a setup that can kill a buffalo, or at least I thought can kill a buffalo, uh, with low poundage equipment. So I actually hunted this buffalo with um, a 44-pound longbow. Um, and I built my arrow setup specifically for this uh, buffalo hunt. Uh, it was 625 grains, 300 grain broadhead with about t- almost 29% front of center weight. Um, and I, you know, I'll be honest with you, the, the hunt um, wasn't that difficult, um, but it was difficult to get, uh, you know, within 20 yards to kill it with the longbow because I knew I had to get within 20 yards. And if you've ever hunted buffalo, they don't want you to get that close. They're fine with you being 30, 40 yards away, but when you start getting too close, they do not feel comfortable. So it was a cat and mouse game for a long time. Um, I don't think you're going to find too many people that are going to say, oh, yeah, when I hunted buffalo. <laughs> I mean, I think it's safe to say that, you know. Yeah. You know. So anyways, I was just I found that. Had to throw of, that out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so – uh, yeah, so it was it was a real challenge to get uh, you know to break that twenty yard uh, you know uh, mark. Um, luckily, I I I I got within twenty yards. Uh, you know, and not to mention, you know, buffalo are herd animals, so you know you might you might even get within twenty yards, but you might not have a clean shot because you know I didn't know if I was going to pass through. I could have passed through and killed another buffalo. I mean, these these animals herd up. They don't. It, you can't break them apart once they're in their herd. So. There was a lot of challenges, uh, um, but once I got got it, got the ability to shoot and had the the option to shoot, um, I released. Uh, it took three three arrows to kill it, but it really the second arrow was the lethal shot. Um, and I will tell you, all my shots were twelve to eighteen yards approximately, and they all passed through with forty four pound longbow, which I was pleasantly surprised with. So. I, you know, I took the Ashby studies, I took everything I knew, and I, I wanted to prove a point. And uh, plus, I wanted to test my broadheads, and they all performed phenomenally. Um, so um, the first shot was a good shot. It, it um, I, I did, it was quartering away a little bit. I, I clipped a little stomach, punctured the liver, and punctured the, uh, the outgoing lung. Um, I knew it was a good shot. She probably would have died within some hours, but uh, my guide wanted me to put another arrow in her, so I already had another arrow knocked. I uh, I got broadside of her with probably 12 yards and um, hit her with another shot, broadside, double-lunged it, completely, completely passed through. Um, at that point, I knew she was done. And um, uh, I don't know how much detail you want me to get into, but she, she went right for a pond went right into a pond and we just started freaking out because if she would have died in the pond, we would have lost her. Fortunately, she got out of the pond and uh, I sprinted around the opposite side and put a third arrow in her just to, just to make sure she was going to go down. And she, 
the third arrow passed completely through, uh, embedded in her off uh, the the outgoing uh, shoulder, and uh, she pretty much took two steps and dropped. So it was it was pretty pretty nerve wracking for a good forty five minutes there with all those arrows being released, and it was uh it wasn't as easy as you think it would be. That's for sure. I mean, look, I'm. I, Anybody that draws a buffalo tag or hunts a buffalo, if you're persistent enough, you'll kill the buffalo. It's just uh, you, you just have to be persistent and just keep trying. I mean, you know, and I wanted to have that extra challenge of using a longbow and, uh, you know, just just showing the Ashby studies. Right. You know, showing, you know, a, an ethical build for this animal, what it can do. And it, and it worked. So um, I was real happy about that. Uh, well, I think like from that side of it, like one of the things that I always kind of joke about when we talk about, or we, you know, uh, think about broadheads. Right. And you said, you said, yeah, I took some out and I shot them through a 55 gallon drum or a steel drum or whatever. I'm like that doesn't seem very practical in, right. in like the hunting right. world. So I guess I would rather that you go shoot a Buffalo a few times and see right. what the broadheads do like in real life. Cause I think that that is a lot better of a, a real well, world that, situation than that's than a, just it. I mean, you have guys shooting, you know, they test broadheads, right? You send them broadheads, they test them, they shoot them through concrete, they shoot them at concrete, they shoot them at wood. That, that stuff's all well and good, but that, that that's not a real life animal. Right. So, you know, that, that's what I'm saying. I could shoot, sit here and shoot through, through, through metal all day long and show you that these had to do whatever. But until you actually put it on an animal and see what it does, it's just all, it's just all fun and games until you actually take animals with it. So how did you land on, I mean, outside of just the, the Ashby study for that setup for that animal, um, how did you land on a 625 grain arrow? Or is that just what shot, when you were building it well, or you just um, said, you know, I need to get over 600 and this setup will do it. Yeah. Well, um, there's a, there's a, I guess a few answers to that. Um, for some reason, I always end up around that 600 to 650 range. It's just, my arrows just always seem to fall in that range, no matter what weight bow I'm shooting. Um, you know, if you follow the Ashby studies, he talks about the 650 grains breaching is the, is the minimum threshold to breach a bone. However, if you talk to Ed, he does say, you know, he didn't have the kind of modern equipment that we have today. Even even the recurves weren't as modern, you know, uh, they didn't have the modern materials that they have today. So I did want to, I didn't want to go 650 because I wanted to see if I could prove a point that 650 wasn't the breaching uh, bone threshold. However, all I hit was rib bones. I did breach uh, uh, on my on my broadside shot. I did breach both rib bones of a bison. They're not the biggest bones in the world, but I did breach both of them with the forty four pounds. So I did sort of, you know, disprove I guess the six fifty if you want to look at it that way. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, that's just what tuned good for me. I mean, I I knew what I kind of wanted. I made did the math in my head. I always go into an arrow build with. This is the broadhead weight I want to use. Um, this is the weight I'm kind of projecting because I typically shoot traditionally. I tri- typically shoot 12 grain to 13 grain, sometimes 14 grain per pound uh, arrow. 
Um, so I knew I wanted to fall in that weight range. I've kind of built it on paper and then built it and, you know, did a little trimming here and there and it, and it, it shot good. And I just went with it. Right. I mean, being a traditional shooter, you shoot something you're confident with. Confidence is huge with being a traditional instinctive type of shooter. You have to shoot something you're confident with. So, um, I shot this since December, late season. Um, I, I knew I was going to this Buffalo hunt. So I built a late season arrow for whitetails here, which was what I hunted the Buffalo with and just shot with it all the way through to the Buffalo hunt so that I was very comfortable with it. And that's just what I took. Um, and fingers crossed and hoped it worked. And it did. Uh, I, I can't say that I'm not, I'm not happy with the results. I mean, all three arrows passed through that Buffalo, like, like it was nothing. I mean, it really, it was, it was, it was great. It was really great. Cool. What the, one of the questions I always ask our guests is what's your bow setup? But I mean, it might be a tough question. It sounds like you've got a bunch of bows, but so what was, this, <laughs> what was the bow that you took the Buffalo with? So the bow I took the Buffalo with was a, uh, I, I guess it's a prototype, so to speak. Um, he's a local guy to me, uh, Omega Longbows. Um, He's a younger dude, um, doesn't live too far from me. We became somewhat friends, you know, from being in the industry and stuff. And he built me a couple bows last year. I did take one uh, whitetail with one of the long bows, but he built me this prototype. He was playing with different designs, and I kind of liked it. And um, it's actually more of a target riser. It's a huge riser. It's actually like a 25-inch wood riser on this thing, uh, composite wood riser. It was actually 66 inches. It does have double carbon layers, so it, it does have some snap to it. So, you know, this thing, this 44-pound longbow shoots a lot like some of my 50-pound longbows and recurves because of the carbon in it. It just has such a snap to it. Now, um, you know, there's some disadvantages to that as well. But but anyways, it's a 66-inch uh, Omega. They call it, He calls it a Royal Huntsman now. He did bring it out to market. It's called an Omega Royal Huntsman. Um, this one's a double carbon, 66 inches, 44 pounds at 28 and a half inch draw. Um, and my arrows, you know, were 625 with 300 grain out front. Um, yeah, that's, that's what it was. What arrows are you shooting? Uh, they were Sirius Apollos. Okay. Yeah. I became friends with, with the owner of Sirius, uh, about a year and a half ago and, um, you know, I, I, I shoot his stuff as much as possible. And he does, they, they build some really nice arrows. Um, matter of fact, they're coming out with a trad arrow this year, which you better get with them soon because I want to shoot, shoot them the rest of the year and start, you know, getting them out there. Awesome. Well, I mean, I think that's kind of all the things I had on my list and the, the, the questions for today. Um, is there anything else that you want to cover about any of your new stuff or, uh, if not, where can everybody follow along with, uh, everything that you're doing and, and, and check out your stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, we, we got the, the classics and the evolutions are, uh, are what we, we offer. Um, right now we're still manufacturing. We ran a bunch of pre-sales. So, uh, we're getting the pre-sales out now on a lot of the evolutions and we sent some of the, the classics out. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're real active on Instagram as much as possible. Uh, hopefully be more and more active. Um, we do have a Facebook page, which links with our Instagram page. Um, putting more content on YouTube as we can. Mainly informational stuff, just to help guys be educated with our broadheads, you know, sharpening, things like that. Um, I, I, I did put a couple 
small hunt videos. As a matter of fact, the buffalo hunt is being edited now, so um, I'm probably putting a buffalo hunt on YouTube too. So that'll be that should be out there to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we're 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 trying to strive and and, and become a player in the industry uh, with Trad and, and uh, Compound. So I, I appreciate everybody's support to, to date, and then, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, everybody's happy with us, and we can keep doing doing a good job. Sounds good. Like I said, it sounds like a thankless job to sit in there having, I mean, like, do you touch every single one of these broadheads that goes out? Every one of them, man. Every single one of them. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, you have my sweat on it. And everyone you get, you got my sweat on it. One way or another. <laughs> well, awesome. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.